We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mar Hamlin update, fantasy champions crown changes to the NFL playoffs, and Sam Howell is going to get a start. Those are some of the things we're going to talk about in this grab bag episode of Dealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we're so grateful to hear more positive news from Damar Hamlin. It was a tough thing to talk about in our last episode. I think we made that clear. I was happy to hear some positive feedback from people who did listen, including, I mean, the real reason we did talk about it, and we talked about this on the show was, you know, probably not everyone's as plugged in and doesn't have all the information. I did hear from at least one person this phrase that it helped them to hear some optimism. Was really grateful to, to hear that because that was the goal. I do want to really quickly note that I probably glossed over the cognitive function concern. And it was really great since we recorded that to hear these positive new notes now that the cognitive function is is back and Demar's been able to communicate both in written form now in, in verbal form as we record this on, on Friday morning. We've heard this morning that he's FaceTimed with his teammates. He's had a lot of conversations, maybe not a lot of conversations, but he's been able to talk to some degree. The breathing tube is out overnight. A lot of positive steps. There's a a lot unknown and I did a lot of speculation and on, on his health in the last episode. And even after we recorded it, Sean, we talked a little, I was a little unsure about whether we should even publish. I, I almost certainly got something wrong. So again, I just want to apologize for that. Just wanted to try to give as best of an update as we could. The, the important thing is we're hearing positive stuff about his health. I don't want to speculate about it any more than that. It's, it's really great to hear. It's been extremely encouraging. And I mean, this was such a difficult thing. And I think the sense of relief and the sense of just gratefulness for this young person to be able to resume at least some portions of their life, maybe everything. I just, this is one of the best stories that, I mean, it, it turns from this negative thing into this amazing story, amazing human story sort of across the board. And you love that. And I think that you have to feel better about sort of the human condition after this week, have this scary moment, moment, have all of the wonderful things happen in the aftermath with now getting the good news on DeMar Hamlin himself is the final piece that was necessary for that to be the case. 
obviously it seems like there's a long road to go for him. And yet, based on the things that happened, I mean, this is a, a very reasonable outcome. And yet it feels like a miracle. And it feels, I mean, if it's not, I mean, technically a miracle, even an, an unlikely scenario, just the the sense of this and, and what's happening now, so positive. And so we're, we're very grateful for that. And yeah, hopefully we never see anything like it again. Yeah. And yeah. And like you said, completely unprecedented and it's led to unprecedented circumstances and a lot of things that we pay attention to in the fantasy football world, the ways that tournaments were decided in the actual NFL playoffs, the way that they're going to go about that. And, and there was a lot of talk this week, whether or not that Bills Bengals game would be resumed. It always seemed like a long shot and a difficult thing. It, we, we've now gotten word it will be canceled and there's these updates to the playoff picture, there could be a neutral site for the AFC Championship. There could be a coin flip for the Bengals and Ravens. There are some other elements there that are maybe not perfectly equitable. Bengals coach Zach Taylor had some thoughts on that Friday morning as we all sort of start to move beyond slowly what's happened with DeMar Hamlin. And, and, and I know everybody wants to try to be as respectful of that as possible. It's it's tough. It's tough to even know how to, you know, how to proceed. One of the things in our world that I want to start with is we had a couple friends of the podcast win some major prizes this week. We had Tom Barani on last week from the Go Bills team. Those guys did end up winning the back-to-back championship. They were in first place going into Monday night. They needed Devin Singletary to score less than something like 11 point something. Probably pretty close, close to a coin flip the way that Devin Singletary has been scoring lately. Obviously not the way they wanted to win. Dom had some thoughts on Twitter. Most of his thoughts started with the DeMar Hamlin thing. These guys are Bills fans. They're from the Buffalo community. And so obviously this was a particularly impactful thing for them and for their whole you know community, for the whole Buffalo area, but obviously for football fans everywhere. But as a result of the game being canceled and the way that these operating sites have to move forward. Those guys did win back to back. It's a, it's an incredible accomplishment. You have to put yourself in that position. If Singletary had scored that many points, they would have fallen to second. They were almost certainly not going to fall further than second. So they put themselves in position to basically be a coin flip for first or second. I mean, yeah, it's, they didn't win because a game got canceled. They won because of everything before that. Similarly, our really good buddy that we, you know, been around since Rotoviz. I did a whole podcast series with him in 2016 at Rotoviz. Some people will remember. Well, I had a wonderful time drafting an RV Triflex uh, startup team. Yeah, we talk about all the time. This person here uh, just this year. And I, I guess I'm now going to be in a position where I can ask him to pay our dues for next year. Yeah. <laughs> our buddy Pat Corain, obviously a co host over at Ship Chasing for anyone who watches over there. And, and, and I'm over there every week. And, and Sean, you come on there a lot. The, the, the ship chasing name, hilarious in, in hindsight, because he just won the biggest prize, I think, in fantasy football history, the $2 million first place prize for Best Ball Mania 3. And again, very similar to what I just said about Dom. There's going to be people that are going to say he won because of something. Pat was in a position where there were, because it was a, a much larger contest uh, and only the one week, they weren't as insulated as Dom and those guys. There were scenarios where he could have fallen pretty far. There were also a lot of scenarios where that whole game could have been played and he could have stayed in first. He wasn't like, you know, a significant underdog to stay in first. He was an underdog to the field, probably. We discussed that some over on ship chasing. But a favorite easily against every individual team. 
Right. A favorite against every individual team. Had a nice little lead. Built a really strong team. Got all the way there, obviously. Uh, the thing I love about the team is it it was built through a lot of the principles that were that he wrote about all offseason, that were discussed all offseason, that our other buddy Peter Overzet talked about. Was really into the Week 17 correlation stuff. Made a great video on that. Pat's team you know, built in a lot of that correlation and a hit in a way. I mean, the Bucks and Panthers game, he had elements of the uh, Dolphins and Patriots. He had elements of and got Mostert and Tyquan Thornton and Jacoby Myers all into that winning lineup on the final week. And there was more correlation in his lineup. I can't remember all of the details, but Pat, I'll just say like, I haven't been in contact with him has handled this as graciously and as gloriously behind the scenes as you could possibly imagine has never once at any point, made it about him, was very concerned about Tamar Hamlet and not just like putting on a show. Also at no point talking about it being like unfair because it kind of, I mean, what we all witnessed on Monday night was the most surreal thing as football fans we've ever witnessed. But what Pat had experienced in the 36 hours prior to Monday night football starting Sunday morning was the most surreal thing he'd ever experienced in, as a fantasy football player. You have these two massively surreal moments colliding just an insane thing to then, you know, be kind of left in limbo for a few days. So proud as a friend of his to, to just see the way that he handled that throughout. And anyone who knows Pat would expect nothing less, but I just wanted to say that. I also want to say in terms of him winning, so deserved. I mean, this is a guy who has been a grinder for a long time, is now obviously over at NBC and doing awesome work there. But, I mean, this is like the – like a lifetime achievement kind of thing. It takes a lot of luck and a lot of good fortune to win a, a huge best ball tournament. Pat has been saying that a ton. He'll be the first one to tell you that. But, you know, even without this win, Pat was somebody who is an incredibly humble person in the way that he goes about this game. He's all about learning and like a growth mindset, if you will, finding new ways to attack things. This is somebody who I've done a lot of different contests with him over the years. Always has a smart and unique and interesting way to go about things and gets his money in in smart ways and, and thoughtful ways. Eventually, you do that enough times, you're hoping something breaks right. But if somebody's going to win this, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you'd also love it if it was a story of somebody who's drafted their first ever team. That would be a, you know an amazing story too. But again, like it's sort of like a lifetime achievement of like this isn't because – Pat drafted one perfect team and got super lucky, air quotes. It's because he's done everything right and grinded and worked hard for years to put himself in plus EV situations, as we might say in the industry, in a ton of different contests for years. And then fortunately, the biggest prize of all is the one that breaks right, but so well-deserved too. I mean, just can't say enough good things about Pat as an analyst and as a person and uh, so, so happy for him. What a, what a cool accomplishment. It really is. And I wasn't surprised. I mean, you're, you're always surprised because it's just one person and you have all of these teams involved. But yeah, I'm a little bit more out of the loop. And when I was checking in and, and finding out that Pat is in this position, I was both blown away and, and not surprised because Pat is so good. And I refer to him all the time. And one of the reasons why I was excited to do that dynasty startup with him is that I, mean, I think he might be the best mind in dynasty, right? But I mean, obviously, one of the top minds in best ball, one of the top minds across the board. And there are lots of different ways to be good at fantasy football. And one of the things that we talk about on the show some is that you want to lean into your strengths and kind of mitigate your weaknesses as you're putting together 
teams for any type of contest. And not everybody, even who listens to the show, is going to find that the way that we play is perfect for them. And they they may do it completely differently, or they may find some tweaks to what we do that allow them to best manifest their strengths. But there certainly are people within the industry whose thought process is unique enough and insightful enough that they're so interesting in so many different areas. And Pat is definitely one of those people. And so while there's, I mean, there's basically no such thing as deserve in this world, it it's fantastic that he won. Because if I would ever use that word, it would be the word that you used where, I mean, he's the perfect person to win this because it's the combination of you know, those things that you mentioned. And then, I mean, obviously you're alluding to this as well, but just, I mean, Pat's brilliant. So it was so cool. And brilliant and hard work. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, couldn't, couldn't be happier for him. It's just a genuine joy for, uh, for a guy that, again, I mean, he's been around, at, he's been around longer than me at Rotoviz. I remember when I came on, he was already doing content. It's probably going on close to a decade now. I don't know. I'd have to ask him. I, I started in 2015. I think he, he was before then. So he's been around doing content, grinding, reading, learning, asking questions, offering a lot in his own right as an analyst, but also taking in a lot. I mean, the exact type of, of person that, I mean, I love doing teams with him and, and, and all sorts of contests with him and, I'll be doing some playoff best ball with him next week. And Sean, you and I are going to be doing some content on playoff best ball and talking about it and doing some together as well. But I mean, I, I love anytime I get a chance to interact with him and talk with him and hear his thoughts on things. And, and um, we, we had a 10 K buy-in team with uh, our, with Pete Overzet and, and Mike Leone that finished second this year and much smaller payout than the 2 million, but that did well. Um, so anyway, a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. So, happy for him at the same time sean one of the things we did want to discuss as well is sort of the other human side of this from a fantasy football perspective where there are a lot of people who were trailing in a lot of contests and needed that monday night game we've all been in positions where you get bad beats and that's part of why you know i'm so i'm so happy and so thankful for pat and seeing uh what he was able to do and in, in winding up on top because there's so many more opportunities to kind of get there, but you don't actually end up getting there in this uh, hobby that we do. Um, and for a lot of people, the way that Monday night ultimately being canceled, what that means is they were in positions, not really in Pat's contest. I, like, like we said, I don't think there's anyone that feels like they definitely could have got ahead of him. Some of the smaller underdog contests, some of the other contests out there, where people did not need a lot to move up into a significantly higher pay bracket. And they were probably going into Monday night, like just need a, you know, a normal game out of my guys. That's a really tough break, obviously. And and probably those people feel if anyone are listening and I imagine they're not really paying a lot of attention to fantasy football, but I would imagine those people feel like they can't cope with those emotions at all because of what actually happened in the DeMar Hamlin stuff that it feels too selfish to think about that being unfair for them. I think you have to be able to compartmentalize a little bit because for some people, this was the difference between some, you know, their biggest score of their life and ultimately they miss out on it. You feel for those people. Absolutely. You do. And that's the other part of the human element here where we've already heard from the Cincinnati Bengals. Now that 
Hamlin appears to be okay. And certainly I don't think we would have heard anything like this if he weren't okay. The other thing just to stipulate, which we've heard a lot from the Bills and is definitely true, is that even as Hamlin recovers, and I refer to it as you know, possibly a miracle, but regardless, a wonderful story, there are going to be a lot of people's lives within especially the Bills community, that, that tight community of the team, that are changed forever. And so it's not something where, okay, he's recovering and then everything goes away. These people's lives are forever changed. And you always want to remember that and keep that in context too, that a recovery doesn't wipe everything away. But there is this human element for everybody who is involved in fantasy football, just like there is a human element for the Bengals who have done all of these. I mean, just you know, worked from sunup to sunup who have worked from sunup to sundown every day, you know, for a year here to put themselves in this position and they feel like they were robbed of this game. They still have a lot of different opportunities to go forward and win. The fantasy managers who were in position to have life-changing results don't have that opportunity. And I, I do think it's important to to recognize that human element and not just completely gloss over it because there's something that is more important. And I had some people reach out to me and say that it's been so hard because they think, you know, both things are true, that you can hurt desperately and pray fervently for this situation that's happened and also be sad for your own circumstance, where, as you mentioned, I mean, there are also people that we are very close with who were in position to win tournaments and probably would have, and now they don't. And I mean, you can play again. And one of the neat things that I have heard from people is that they're very excited for 2023 and, you know, it, you just get out there and, and play some more, but there's no guarantee you'll ever be in that situation. These tournaments are difficult. There are huge numbers of teams involved. If you were on the precipice of winning a major tournament, that may never happen again. And so it's very tough. And and I think I think it's important to recognize that for those people too who lose out on something here. And, and it's difficult. And one of the things that I like about what the contests have done is that they followed their rules and did the only thing they could reasonably do when you have an unprecedented situation like this, you want to follow the rules because that's the only way, I think, to handle it. And, and that's maybe what's been a little bit weird with the NFL's decision. And one of the things that the Bengals are fighting with right now is that the NFL has decided to, number one, cancel the game where there probably still is a scenario where, from a fairness perspective, you could have played that game and push the playoffs and not had that break before the Super Bowl. Now, would there have been significant logistical disadvantages? Would that have been a nightmare? Would that have created competitive disadvantages? It would have, but that would have been a reasonable way to do it. The other reasonable way to do it would have been simply to follow the rules. And if a game is canceled and I can understand why the Bengals are frustrated that that's not what's being done. Yeah. So ultimately I mean, to your first point, I, I I agree with you. I think they could have played it. I think in any scenario, though, 
I think the big question there was would the Bills and Bengals have appreciated that outcome either because it would have meant that their opponent in the first round of the playoffs would have been coming off a rest week, basically, a bye, while they just played their game, you know, de facto week 19. And they would have both had to play hard for that game, whereas then, you know, they would they would have been playing a team the next week that had, that had rested. And that can go both ways too, Sean. We, you know, we talk every year. Sometimes people like to say that these teams that get the buys of the playoffs look rusty and the teams that are playing every week this time of year and playing well are the ones that just ride that momentum all the way to the Super Bowl. So it's, it's really hard. Uh, I agree with you that there's, you know, there are potential paths. I do think canceling was the right move ultimately. And there was really no good solution. And yet I think you do bring up a good point that, if they just say, look, we're going to go with win percentage, they more or less are just giving Kansas City the buy and the one seed and potential home field advantage down the line. And so they make an exception to that to say that they're going to do that. But if a game comes down to a home field advantage in the AFC Championship that is dictated by the canceled game, that they'll do a neutral site. So a potential Kansas City-Buffalo game will be played at a neutral site, assuming both teams win this week or both teams lose this week where ultimately the home field advantage was dictated by that. Now, if one team wins and the other loses, that won't come into play. If the bills go ahead of the chiefs, they will have gone ahead of the chiefs even without, even if they lose against the Bengals in, in a hypothetical game, they still would stay ahead of the chiefs. And so that therefore the home field advantage wouldn't be in question. If the bills lose this week and the chiefs win, same thing, even if the bills would have beat the Bengals, they wouldn't have been able to, catch the Chiefs, and therefore uh, the neutral site won't come into play in that scenario. So they have to have the same result this weekend. The coin flip scenario with the Bengals and Ravens, the Bengals were to have lost against the Bills. They would go on in Week 18 and play the Ravens. One game up on them. Ravens had already beat them once this year. A Ravens win would have meant a 2-0 and head-to-head, Baltimore over the Bengals, and a tied win-loss, and therefore the Ravens would have won the division. So the canceled game, in effect, made the Bengals the division champions by putting them a game and a half ahead of the Ravens. Even if they lose to the Ravens, they'll stay a half game ahead. The NFL said they will be declared the, the division champions. But because of that, if the Ravens do win this weekend, they're going to coin flip for who hosts that game. So the Bengals are in a scenario where if the Bills-Bengals game would have been played and they would have lost. They would have been in a position they could have lost their division and had to play on the road in the first playoff game assuming that the, the Bengals-Ravens matchup aligns in the in the wildcard round, but it looks likely to. And because it's not being played, if they do still lose to the Ravens, they will now have to go to a coin flip, essentially, to determine whether or not they will get to be the home field. The, the winning the division ultimately doesn't really matter because if they have to then go on the road to the Ravens anyway, it's kind of like they didn't win the division. That's the point of it, really. You get a home playoff game. The third element that didn't get addressed by this was a potential divisional matchup between the Bengals and Bills, who send them two and three seeds right now. Sean, as we talked about, if the Bengals would have beat the Bills, they would have pulled head-to-head with the Bills and had a tiebreaker over them. And that would have then meant a home playoff game in the second round if the as the two and three seed they both won in the wild card round. They were at home for this game where the DeMar Hamlin incident occurred. They looked good out of the gate very limited amount of football we actually saw 
But you can understand some frustration there where they felt like they were ready to go and they had a chance to win that game. Again, all of that less important than the DeMar Hamlin situation. Can't possibly say that enough times. And really, we can only have this conversation because we feel like we're getting enough positive news out of the DeMar Hamlin situation and his rehab and his recovery. But Zach Taylor did have some comments this, this morning as we record this on Friday where he said, essentially, it feels like other teams got some advantages and we got some disadvantages as a result of how they're going to play this out. And what he's referring to is the Bills, with this game getting canceled by the rules, as you said, would just not would have to go play at the Chiefs. The Chiefs would be the one seed. They would go by win percentage, and Bills would now be behind the Chiefs in win percentage, even though they have a win-loss tiebreaker against the Chiefs. That's what the rules would dictate, and they are making an exception to say, because the rules are going to be dictated by this canceled game, we don't want the Chiefs to, to get the benefit of home field in that scenario. We'll do a neutral site. Same with the Bengals-Ravens potential matchup and division situation and who would host that wildcard game. They're saying, Based on the rules, the Bengals would just win the division and host, but we're going to make an exception to a coin flip for that one because of a canceled game that we couldn't make up. They are not doing that for the Bills and Bengals because the way that they described it was in any scenario where the canceled game meant the two teams played different numbers of games. So for the Chiefs and Bills, 16-17 games. For the Bengals and Ravens, 16-17 games. For the Bills and Bengals, they both had a canceled game. The NFL saying they both played 16 games. They had the same chance to have the same record. And the Bengals are going to wind up one game behind in all likelihood. And they both played 16, so it doesn't relate here. As we were talking before the show, Sean, that's kind of an interesting line to draw in the sand. As Zach Taylor pointed out, the Bengals felt like they held their own destiny in terms of hosting that that second round game, that divisional round game. If they go beat the Bills in what was already feeling like a playoff game that obviously has now been canceled, and for good reason. But if they would have been able to play that game and beat the Bills in that game, they controlled their own destiny. They could go on and beat the Ravens and then have home field through to the AFC Conference Championship, and potentially there as well if the Chiefs were to have lost in Week 18. We talked about this last week. The Bengals could, get all, could still get all the way to the one seed as of last week. And it should be said, if the Bengals win and the Chiefs lose, and the Bills also lose, and the Bengals end up facing the Chiefs, They'll do a neutral site as well. Same same scenario where uh, home field advantage in that case would have been dictated by differing numbers of games. So the Bengals, in a very specific scenario, could benefit with a home field advantage AFC championship game where the rules would say win percentage goes to the Chiefs. But the big one, I think, for them is looking at this Bills-Bengals game that's looking like it's going to be a rematch now. They're actually going to play. They're going to play in the divisional round. It's been looking like a rematch uh, or was going into Monday night from Cincinnati's perspective where if we can beat them at home, we'll get to host them again. If we can't, well, the Bills will go on and get the one seed and we'll be traveling to Kansas City in that second game. So they that was a kind of a do or die game for them. You can understand based on what they were talking about probably in the week leading up to last week's game how they feel now, at least, you know, to some respect, if you can compartmentalize the DeMar Hamlin stuff, you can understand where Zach Taylor is saying, we felt like we had control of whether or not we could host that game. And now that this game's not being played, the NFL saying, well, you guys both did play 16 games and the Bills have a better record. Bengals are saying, well, we knew we were going to play them head to head for that 17th game. And that was pretty important to us. 
yeah, I, I just don't see how you draw the line there. But I also don't see how you draw the line at a different number of games because very clearly the better winning percentage dictates who the playoff team is. Now, one of the things that isn't discussed that much in the NFL because it's just a fact of life is that the tiebreakers are arbitrary, the vast majority of them, or the ones that come into play frequently. For example, when the Packers defeat the Lions this week and the Seahawks defeat the Rams, the Packers are going to make the playoffs instead of the Seahawks because of conference record, which is a completely meaningless thing. Right. If you want to have a tiebreaker that reflects what you've done on the field, then you need to have margin of victory. And that would at least make some sense. But in this Packers Seahawks situation, you're going to have two teams with the same record and the same number of games who are going to have something purely arbitrary decide who makes the playoffs. Now, everybody knows what that is going in. So you can say, well, it's arbitrary, but it's known. And so it's fair. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's fair. To have teams play different number of games and to say that that doesn't matter is a very strange decision when you think about how much that game represents in terms of a chunk of the NFL season. And the winning 14 games is much more difficult than winning 13 games in the context of an NFL campaign. Now, one of the things is that definitely looks the way the season developed that the Bills and the Bengals have played a more difficult schedule. So you can say they already have that working against them, but those things are already built in. I mean, that's just part of it. The teams don't play the same level of difficulty. So then this is an improvised solution that to, to try and address fairness. And I think the, the instincts there are good. We're not in any way, in the same way that I suggested that I, I felt like criticisms of the NFL in terms of what happened in the immediate response are probably, now I'm definitely not saying this for sure, but probably misunderstandings as opposed to something where the NFL didn't, I mean, there was controversy around what happened there. And I think that's mostly misunderstanding. I think that the instinct of the NFL here is, is correct. And I think that what they're trying to do is avoid unfairness, which is what we all want. But I think when you improvise a solution, when the rules are clear and when the solution creates cascading unfairness and also uncertainty for how we're not, again, we don't expect to deal with this situation again in the future. We desperately hope not. But there are going to be unforeseen things that happen in sporting leagues and in the NFL in the future. I mean, hopefully we don't have something like COVID again either, right? But you undermine credibility and confidence in the organization if the rules are not followed and the rules are not followed in a way that then picks winners and losers, the chiefs are going to be losers in the fact that I mean, the Bengals with what happened already in this game were the favorites in the game at that point. And then also with the game being canceled, you follow the rules. The chiefs have this huge benefit. And I, certainly I, I would prefer they not have that benefit. Just like everybody would prefer they not have that benefit. Put aside that, the Bengals are huge losers in what happens here. And so they deal with the very human tragedy of being in the midst of all of those things that occur on Monday night. It's not their teammate, but this is a fraternity and it's a situation where, I mean, these players care about each other desperately and deeply. Now the turnaround is that in the aftermath, they're dealing with 
really multiple uh, unfairness on multiple levels in terms of how it's handled. And again, it, this isn't to criticize anyone. It's simply to say that the most straightforward thing to do here is to follow your rules. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And it, and I think, yeah, I agree. And I think if you say what's the most likely scenario, it makes it a little easier to understand the Bengals' perspective. The most likely scenario is the Bengals go on and beat the Ravens because they're playing with Tyler Huntley. They're not a very good football team right now. And the Bills and the Chiefs also win. And in that scenario, the Bengals are now going to be playing a road game in the divisional round. And they came out. And looked good to start that game. Joe Burrow was four for four, threw a touchdown. I mean, look, separating aside what happened, obviously we and we've already tried to acknowledge this as much as possible, and it's very important to continue to acknowledge it. But I understand completely why the game was canceled. I'm not a Bengals fan or anything, but from the Bengals' perspective, the point the game was canceled, they were they'd already had a touchdown drive and made it look pretty easy. Bills moved the ball a little more slowly and got a field goal drive. Josh Allen had to do some scrambling on that drive. Bengals came back and, you know, on the play that the injury happened, it was a completion to T Higgins where I think they were getting a first down right around midfield and we're starting to move the ball again. And again, you completely understand why the game's canceled. There's a lot of game left there. No guarantees on the way that was going to play out, but probably the Bengals were looking at that, like their opportunity to host a playoff game in the second round against one of these two teams. They feel like they have to beat both of the bills and the chiefs. And now, if they do what they are likely to do and beat the Ravens this week, but the Bills and Chiefs also win, they're going to have to beat both of them on the road in consecutive weeks. It dramatically changes their path to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's just the reality of it. It's not more important than anything with Demar Hamlin, but it does alter their odds. It does change things. So you can understand where Zach Taylor is not taking it lying down, and he's making some comments, even though I'm sure he doesn't want to be saying anything at this stage. Oh, it would be so horrible to be in his position and have to navigate standing up for his team and knowing that he's going to come under fire for that in the context of what's happened. Right. And so that's just, it's a tough situation. And there were no perfect solutions, Sean. We knew that. We talked about that earlier this week, I think. Um and I'm not sure I, I have a better answer for what they could have done, other than your suggestion that they should have just went strictly by the rules, win percentage. But as you said, even in that scenario, or really in any scenario, if like the Chiefs go on and win the Super Bowl, people are going to say they only did that because they got – I mean, if they win in neutral field, people are going to say, well, they would have had to win in Buffalo. 
right? They would have had to go to Buffalo and win. It's a really close game in the AFC Championship between the Bills and the Chiefs. I mean, imagine a playoffs now into the future, and we could think through what might play out where the Bengals go into Buffalo and lose a close game. And it feels like home field advantage played a pretty significant role. That's going to be unfortunate, right? The Bengals are going to have a reason to feel that's unfortunate. And then the Bills go on. And again, your point about them having the same number of games and the same and different records, and so we're not going to coin flip that one, that's true, and yet it's an arbitrary thing to say that that is going to be the way that that particular thing is handled because that's also not necessarily within the rules, right? And as you mentioned earlier, the game that was canceled would have determined it. So the fact that they played the same number of games and have different records is not the most salient point there because that game was going to change that. Yeah, and then the next step, the Bills go on. Say the Chiefs beat them in a close game in a neutral side, like I was saying. People are going to say the Chiefs only won because they didn't have to go to Buffalo, which they would have had to do if Buffalo would have won. You know, neutral field's going to mean probably a pretty significant advantage for Patrick Mahomes in a passing game. I mean, it's an advantage probably for the Bills too, but I think the Bills feel like they playing outdoor in Buffalo are at an advantage in most scenarios in that, particularly in that in that matchup with the Chiefs, as opposed to they've floated the idea of playing it in Indianapolis. You're talking about an indoor in a dome. It's going to feel like the Super Bowl a little bit if this happens. Is there a reason that, again, it feels, you talk about the kind of these this cascading unfairness for the Bengals. I mean, the Bills are going to get to play at a neutral field, but they could lose a coin flip and have to play at the Ravens. I mean, one of the other questions for them would simply be, you know, why are we not playing that game on a neutral field if we lose, if we lose in week 18? Yeah, scenario where the Bengals lose that coin flip and have to play at the Ravens if they if they lose in week 18. I don't even know that there's a way that it can happen, but I think what most people would want to see is week 18 makes it so that all of this is moot. The Bengals, you would like to see beat the Ravens, so that part is moot. I guess perhaps if the Bengals lose to the Ravens but still win the coin flip, there are paths because then the Bills can win and the Chiefs lose and then the Bills get the one seed and it's the Chiefs' own fault for losing. And I guess that's the one path. Bengals lose, still win the coin flip. Bills win, Chiefs lose. Don't think in that scenario anyone is looking at that game like it was a big difference. At any rate, there's a lot of other scenarios where there's going to be somebody who doesn't feel great about this. and We've spent a lot of time on it, and I know a lot of people are thinking this is not at all important relative to the DeMar Hamlin thing, and it's not. Um, but it is you know, the kind of thing that we talk about on Stealing Signals, I guess, and we're trying to get back to – to talking about other stuff. And it's the kind of thing that we like to kind of break down and think through how we might've done it. But I'm not sure we have a great answer to there either, Sean, but the one thing that we were excited to talk about today that we've talked about all, all season is our, our guy, Sam Howell. The funny part of this was it was sort of initially announced that Taylor Heineke would start and they would both play. And then within a few hours, it was announced that Sam Howell would actually start and then we found out later that apparently Taylor Heineke himself told the team that Sam Howell deserves to start and play as opposed to them kind of going back and forth. I thought that was an interesting note because one of the things we talk about is, well, what if Sam Howell's not very good? And we've been, I guess, maybe mildly concerned about that for how much we've we've talked about him and kind of put that caveat out there that, look, he's a fifth-round pick. There's no guarantee he's going to be a superstar. But it's kind of interesting to hear that his own teammate is like, this kid deserves a chance to play. He's seen him in practice too. 
I mean, I don't think T.R. Heineke is saying that if he's been terrible, right? Doesn't that seem to suggest something positive? Yeah, I think so. There are a couple of things going on here. One of the things we mentioned is that either even though Taylor Heineke is not an NFL starting quarterback, he's very easy to root for because he's such a great competitor and he's such a good leader. And you can see more leadership here in that I think if you're any NFL team, you would really want him as your backup quarterback because he's someone that you can win games with. Washington is not an elite team and they won a lot of games with him this year and they've won with him in the past. So if you have your guy go down, you want Taylor Heineke going in there, but then this also speaks to the value of having an elite backup with great leadership skills in your locker room, because this is a great leadership moment. We're saying, I mean, make the best decision for the organization. You don't have to coddle me. I want what's best for the group. And as you pointed out, it does then speak positively to how Howell has looked because that's not something that goes over well in the locker room, even in a meaningless week 18 game. If your third string quarterback, your developmental quarterback can't play, the team does not want to go out there with that being what they face. If for no other reason, then we've already saw the risk that all of these players are. I mean, you're going to go out there and you're going to compete and you're going to try and win and you want to be given not, not even always your best chance, but a reasonable chance with a competitive team, you're going to take this game down. Well, Heineke is saying Sam Howell gives them that. There was also the report that one of the reasons why they might alternate when that was the kind of the early report, as you mentioned, that one of the reasons they might do that is the team was very encouraged by how Howell has looked in practice this year. <laughs> then this takes us back to the previous conversation where how could he not have been starting the last month if he looked good in practice? That's the only possible explanation for him not to be the guy to take Washington potentially to playoffs because he's going to give you your best chance to make the playoffs and he's going to help you make your decision for next year. For them to have not taken that opportunity is just a blatant mismanagement of this team. It's, and we've talked about it, but it's so funny as well because I have been tweeting some of these things as well because we, you know, Sean, we obviously are in complete agreement on this and I've been getting feedback from Twitter. And you might be able to hear my voice. I'm smiling as I say this, but it was pretty good feedback. Pretty good feedback generally from Twitter. Everything there, very level-headed. Some of the people have gone with the, you know, just the generic, he sucks, stop doing the Sam Howell thing. The other other ones that I really love are the ones that say he's a fifth-round pick, so he sucks. Certainly bad because he was taken in the fifth round. He was taken, I believe, the second pick of the fifth round. And all throughout, I mean, anyone who's watching our live stream, we were saying talking about him falling since really the third. Well, more for me, it was more or less else. You know, once you're outside the top 10 picks, I would consider him right. a faller. I'll explain why I believe that here in a minute. But you're going to give us a little bit of the context here on these late round quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, so there were people that had a first round grade on Sam Howell. There were people that had a second round grade. By, by round three-ish is when it felt like he had fallen. Like, th there's too much there to not really going to be excited to hear your thoughts on that. But one of the things when we were talking through this the other day and being a little excited about it is this idea that because he's a fifth round pick, which is already sort of double counting because I feel like Washington fell into a gold mine here. You didn't have to pay a higher draft capital for a guy that a lot of people had that higher grade on. And again, you're going to make the case for that in a minute. They get lucky to get him in the fifth round, but now you're going to say, well, he's only a fifth round pick. Like that, it just boggles my mind. You got a third or a second round 
type, maybe a first round type talent in the fifth. This idea that because he fell, he is a fifth rounder. And again, he was one of the first picks of the fifth round. And that means he can't play is sort of absurd. There are quarterbacks who have fallen. There are players who have fallen who've proven to be very good. Aaron Rodgers uh, comes to mind immediately as a guy who fell, was supposed to be the one-on-one, falls all the way to the late first. And a lot of people thought that was a really bad sign for him several years ago. There's players at other positions, DK Metcalf a few years ago, ends up going in the late second. A lot of people thought he fell really far. Seattle was thrilled to get him there. He's been a superstar ever since. It's not like the NFL knew something. A lot of receivers went ahead of him. Chris Godwin's another one that I remember a few years back. Fell a lot farther than, than we in the fantasy community expected. He fell into the third. A lot of people thought he'd be a late first going into the draft. That's sort of where like his line was like early. He was supposed to be like an early second type pick, maybe mid-second. He fell into the third. There's players like that that fall. Not every faller is bad. A lot of times there is some underlying medical thing or something going on. In addition, just because he went in the fifth, even if he didn't have this falling element to it, where I'm trying to make the case that the fifth round tag isn't really fair. He's probably, uh, you know, first of all, a high fifth, but already should be thought of as a fourth or a third. And it's just kind of absurd that he fell that far. But in addition, we don't, I mean, we, there's more quarterbacks that have been successful from these late rounds than I think people understand, at least outside the first round. Tom Brady's always the example, right? Kurt Warner, Warren Moon, Tony Romo. These are the guys that always come up. Rashawn, you and I started talking about it. And I dug into like the all-time pass yardage list. There's more that are non-first rounders than people realize from an earlier era. I mean, from the current time, you have Russell Wilson, third-round pick, Dak Prescott, third-round pick, Jalen Hurts, second-round pick, I think. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton. This is just a little list we made before the show. Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton, bad examples because they're not very good at football, but they've played a long time. Uh, Rich Gannon, Brett Favre was a second-round pick. Rich Gannon, fourth-round pick. Drew Brees was a second-round pick. Right, Dan Marino was a late one in a class that had six first-round quarterbacks. I think he was the last is the, the story there, the last quarterback taken in that class. Joe Montana was a third-round pick. Dan Fouts was a third-round pick. Matt Hasselbeck is 29th all-time in passing yards. This guy was good, sixth-round pick. Mark Brunel, guy was good. He's on the all-time passing yards list. I didn't write down what place he is. Fifth-round pick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 34th all-time passing yards. Seventh-round pick. A lot of guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, John Kitna and Jeff Garcia are other names that are on, if you go start looking through the top 100 all-time passing yards, they're 55th and 75th. They're both undrafted guys. I'm not saying those guys are all superstars, but there's a lot of players in the last like 20, 20 years. A lot of people who have been playing fantasy for a couple decades will remember a lot of those names, very fantasy relevant. At basically any point in time in the NFL, there's been a top five quarterback or a top 10 quarterback who wasn't a first-round pick and a lot of times was a day-three type pick, a fifth-round, sixth-round, seventh-round pick. There's some older names in addition that I didn't write down because you can make a case that the drafting's gotten more efficient. I tried to stick with, like, the 2000s era. But, I mean, I don't think people realize how many quarterbacks come from obscurity to actually play for a reasonably long time and play well. It's not just Tom Brady and Kurt Warner and Tony Romo and those few there's a lot of names, and, and and some of them aren't all from obscurity. That's why I threw in some second-round picks, Brett Favre, Drew Brees, those guys. There's a lot of guys that, like, slipped or went later than you thought or weren't viewed as favorably. That's why I mentioned Marino. He was the sixth quarterback in his class. Every year is a little bit different the way the draft plays out. This last year was one where all the quarterbacks seemed to fall except Kenny Pickett. There's nothing about Sam Howell's capital that suggests that we know he can't play. It was a... 
unique element to the 2023 draft that all of the quarterbacks kind of fell. They were viewed poorly as a group. And then when you get into those rounds, teams are more willing to sort of pick the guys that they like. They think they see something in like the Patriots took Bailey Zappi over Sam Howell. Maybe they just really had a high grade on Bailey Zappi. Maybe that's not necessarily such a smash negative on Sam Howell. I just, this comment that keeps coming up, oh, he can't play. He's a fifth round pick. What are you thinking? The flip side of it is the team treating him like a fifth round pick all year, never giving him an opportunity, never seeing it as an opportunity to see what he might be this year. As you said, just a complete organizational failure. And now we're going to get one game out of him. One game's not going to tell us anything. They're still going to want to upgrade the position this offseason. If he has a great game, they're not going to make him the starter next year. They're going to go out and acquire another quarterback. Almost certainly. There's just no way in one game he can do enough to justify. And in all likelihood, it's his first and only game he's going to play this year. In all likelihood, he's not going to play a perfect football game. He's going to make some mistakes and things. Maybe he'll look good enough that they'll want him to be a part of the backup mix next year or something. It's all very frustrating the way this has played out for Sam Howell. And if you're a Sam Howell fan and think that he can actually play, and we have reason to believe he can, right, Sean? We do. And I think that most listeners know that Sam Howell was a good collegiate quarterback, but they may not realize quite how good. And one of the sources I really like to go to on this is some of the advanced research that Travis May did last year for our rookie guide. And Travis May, obviously one of the leading voices in the prospect evaluation community. But one of the things that he did was put together a look at adjusted yards per attempt over expected where he controls for elements like jet motion and play action that artificially inflate the numbers in a way that doesn't help you as much when you're looking at the NFL evaluation. And one of the things that he's found is that these guys who have a 90th percentile AYA over expected and a 5% or more peak season in terms of the rushing yards. And the, the rushing yards element is really something to help you conceptualize even sort of the potential fantasy impact because obviously we know how much the rushing plays into that especially now and and the emphasis that people put on that but you look at the guys who have come in above that 90th percentile and you have a lot of the big names and then you look at the players who have been drafted early and missed over the last handful of seasons. And you have some of these guys who don't do nearly as well. You have Mitchell Trubisky down at 84% lock, uh, 84th percentile, Mills 80th percentile. You have so many of these stars like Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray, uh, Tua players putting up very big numbers, even Lamar Jackson putting up very big numbers. And now obviously people are wondering, well, where was Sam Howe? And he was at the 90 fourth percentile for this and he had in that peak season which was 2020 his sophomore year over five percent of the market share rushing yards for the team which is encouraging but that also doesn't even really give you the sense of what he means for fantasy because we know that the next season he went on to have this massive 30 percent share i mean sam howell is a potential fantasy monster one of the reasons why we get so interested in him But one of the other elements there, if you're looking at guys who didn't have the passing and still came through, Josh Allen and Daniel Jones were much, much, much lower. But one of the things that you see with them is arm strength and rushing, which has helped them stick and then develop as passers. 
So with Howell, you're really getting both sides of this to where you have this elite athleticism that could help him stick and could help him move the ball in the right offense while he develops as a passer and potentially makes that leap. Obviously, Josh Allen now this unique and really unparalleled quarterback in, in terms of really thinking through the NFL history even, but certainly this unicorn right now. You have Daniel Jones sticking and now perhaps being ready to make the leap how he's played recently with non-starting caliber wide receivers has been very impressive. I mean, to give you a, a few names on the list that Howell's peak AYA overexpected actually trumps, I mean, just a hair ahead of Trevor Lawrence, just a hair ahead of Justin Herbert, who is somebody else who looks very good in this. And you think back to where people were down on him. I think it's a misunderstanding of actually what Herbert was like as a, as a prospect. He was a little bit ahead of Patrick Mahomes. He was a little bit ahead of Deshaun Watson. I mean, you're talking about these huge, huge names. So now obviously you do have, and I'm not going to dismiss in any way, shape or form, the scouting element of this. So you can say those guys were liked better, but you do think back to you know, Patrick Mahomes and how controversial that pick was at the time for the Chiefs. It doesn't seem that way now because he's gone on to be someone who's on a trajectory to be the greatest of all time. And yet, I mean, there were people who doubted that selection, and I think justifiably so. We don't know what the future is. I mean, people didn't know Patrick Mahomes was going to become what he became, so it was fair to have some questions at that point. My suggestion here is that Howell brings to the table the things that you really should be looking for in a prospect. And even if he is developmental, the fact that he has the arm strength and the athletic ability actually gives you a chance to develop him, whereas a pure pocket passer doesn't give you those other outs that will allow you to move the ball and see what you have in him. The final point is just that Howell accomplished that in his second season, and all three of his seasons were good. The, I think that one of the things that happens with Howell is he tends to get thrown in with Ritter and Corral and Willis. When those guys had passing numbers that fit more closely with the busts that I mentioned, whereas Howell and Kenny Pickett are the two guys who meet the criteria. Not everybody who meets the criteria or comes across a certain, certain threshold is going to hit, but we also have to look at it from the perspective of Howell did it in his second season, Pickett did it in his fifth. Four mediocre seasons and one good one where he's an old player competing against younger, less experienced players. Howell was a stud all the way through. Again, does this mean that Sam Howell is going to come out and be a pro bowler? It doesn't. But especially if he's been good in practice after what you saw in the preseason, which also matters. There's just really no excuse for them not to have given him a chance before this week, but at least we get this week. I mean, maybe he does go out there and throw for 350, run for a couple of touchdowns, maybe Washington wins, and at least kind of keeps him in the mix. We can dream for that. Yeah, man, that just got me way more excited again. It's, I mean, it's so fun. And we, we saw how important the mobility was this year across the NFL. It's so fun to know that he can do it both ways, throwing and running, and just really hope that that element shows up and both sides of it, right? The mobility creates some plays, but also that he throws effectively, which, you know, it's sort of like Taylor Heineke, people might be thinking, and Taylor Heineke does run and he's competitive and all those things, 
Tanner Heineke, not a very good passer, actually, when it really gets down to it. A lot of interceptable balls, a lot of YOLO balls. He's aggressive, and you like that in a backup. Like you said, he'd be, he'd be a great backup. What we'd like to see is Sam Howell be poised in the pocket, deliver balls on time, not put b- the ball in harm's way too much in a way that looks like he can actually develop into a high-level passer. And Washington has weapons. I mean, he could be, unlike Carson Wentz and Heineke, he could be the guy to unlock them. And Washington, there's at least an argument. I don't think that with the quarterback play, we have anything definitive on this. But when you look at Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, who when healthy is a very interesting piece. And then even some of the deeper guys with Washington. I mean, this team could have, you know, top 10, even top five weapons at the receiver position in the entire NFL. But it's interesting you look at the, the closest comp to this one game is the greatest quarterback of all time, probably Patrick Mahomes. A lot of people are going to take exception to that, obviously Tom Brady. But potentially the greatest quarterback of all time, we'll just say that. He got his one start the final week of his rookie season. I just pulled that up. I thought he had a little bit of a better game than he actually did. 22 of 35, 284, no touchdowns, one pick. Took a couple sacks, rushed seven times for only 10 yards, probably some kneels in there. They won by three, so he didn't throw any touchdowns. He averaged over eight yards per attempt. That's great. And I know he, he, he threw for a lot of yards. Isn't the other thing in here, though, that the Chiefs' starting receivers were benched and Denver is an upper echelon pass defense? Yeah, there's definitely other layers to this. But my argument is, or my point is Patrick Mahomes being – an early first round pick or a mid first round pick 10th overall, whatever you want to call that. He he played well enough in that game that the team was ready to trade Alex Smith in the offseason and move on with Patrick Mahomes. Sam Howell plays this exact well. I'm not going to roll out the red carpet for him. So no, I mean, you've got to bring in more depth. You've got to bring in more options. And he's also not Patrick Mahomes. No one's expecting him to play like Patrick Mahomes, but that was a game that is thought back to as being so clear that Patrick Mahomes was the better talent that a lot of Chiefs fans at the time said, Mahomes needs to be starting in the playoffs over Alex Smith. Uh, That's not the path they went, but they did ultimately trade Alex Smith in the offseason. That was a game where the Chiefs had already clinched their playoff spot and were benching Alex Smith just because of rest, and, and that's why Mahomes was playing. But Smith had had a pretty good year that year, but was always Alex Smith. He was an underneath passer, sort of limiting to what they actually wanted to do or ultimately became with Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback, being more vertical and more explosive. At any rate, expectations have to be a little bit low is my point, right? I mean, everything you just said makes me think he's going to go out and and be Patrick Mahomes long-term. But even if he's Patrick Mahomes, all that means is 284 yards and no touchdowns for this first game in terms of raw stats. Don't expect him to throw for 505 touchdowns. That's what I'm saying. That would be tough. That would be tough. And it's unfortunate that most dynasty leagues are locked right now because it would be fun just to see what the contingency based prices on Howell would be this week. I mean, you get some wild trades, both directions with people seeing this as an opportunity to get rid of him. People saying I'm all in, I'm going to pay that part would be fun. But again, dynasty leagues mostly locked. This one game will have a big effect on his price, even knowing that it's probably a limited upside in the short term next season as well. Definitely. But it'll be fun nonetheless. 
I think that's all we have today, Sean. Just you know, to close again, it was it was fun to to chat some more football topics with you. We're trying to get back to some normalcy. Next week we'll probably talk some playoff best ball. We'll be getting back into some normalcy. Obviously, our thoughts are still very much uh, with the Mar Hamlin, with the Bills, with that whole community as as things continue to develop there. And hopefully, when we come back next week and we're talking. We feel like everything that we've heard is so positive that um, that doesn't even seem weird to be talking about football again. And that's what we're looking forward to. But so far, sort of so good, right? I mean, it's been a positive few days and, and things are progressing the right way. So thinking about Tamar Hamlin, it's tough to talk about football at all right now. It's going to be weird to watch football this weekend. Still going to do it, and uh, hopefully it's not too weird. <laughs> yeah, we wish safety, health to all the NFL players this weekend. We wish those same things to all of our listeners. We hope your 2023 has gotten off to a wonderful start and that you're already halfway to accomplishing so many of those New Year's resolutions. I'm Sean Siegel. With me has been Gretch. This is Ben Stealing Bananas. We'll be back with you guys soon. We love you. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.